Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you all for our worship tonight. So just a reminder, our next time that we will meet after tonight is Wednesday, January the 5th. So mark that day on your calendar, Wednesday, January the 5th, and we will pick right back up in the book of Genesis, looking at Genesis chapter 16. But tonight, we are in Genesis chapter 15. And as I shared before our worship tonight, this is one of the most significant chapters in all of the Bible. This is the chapter of the Abrahamic Covenant. This is also the chapter that records for us the faith that Abram places in the word of God, and God counts it for righteousness. It is the verse that Paul picks up on and uses in Galatians and in Romans to teach us that justification is through faith alone in Christ alone, and by grace alone. Well, guess where that came from? Genesis chapter 15. That's why this chapter is so key to not only understanding the life of Abram, not only understanding the book of Genesis, but understanding the scope of the Bible and we see God beginning to, again, work his redemption out. But he does it through people. Again, remember, and you're going to hear this again on Sunday, God has chosen to reveal himself through relationships with people. That's how God chooses to reveal himself. So let's pick it up. In chapter 15, verse 1, and notice the very first three words. After these things, don't rush past that. What are the these things? The end of chapter 14, where Abram, this mighty warrior that we don't think about Abram being a mighty warrior, went down and defeated the kings of the coalition, rescued his nephew Lot, got back all of the possessions, and two kings come out to meet Abram after the battle. One is Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, king of righteousness and peace, and he comes as a representative of God, and he blesses Abram. He basically says, well done from God. But then the king of Sodom comes out. And instead of blessing Abram, he basically says to Abram, Abram, I'll take all the people, you take all the spoils. They'll be your reward. And Abram totally rejects everything that the king of Sodom wants to give him. Because remember, the king of Sodom represents the world. And Abram at that point is basically saying, witnessing, showing others what he thinks about his God that God is my reward, and that I will look to God to be not only my reward, but my rewarder. He has made me wonderful promises, and so I'm going to wait for him to fill me up. I'm not going to take the scraps of the world. 
It is on then the heels of that rejection that the word notice of the Lord came to Abram. God saw what Abram did and knew like us, there are times where we make a right decision, but it's not an easy one. And we make a decision for God. And yet immediately we begin to think, boy, I hope I did the right thing. I hope this is going to work out, right? And God knows that. So God, after these things, comes to Abram. And the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now that was the vehicle, the vision, through which the word of the Lord came. But the key is God spoke his word to Abram. That was the assurance, not the vehicle, not the vision, but the word of the Lord that came through the vision to Abram. That's how God reassured Abram. In fact, this is such a significant point that I want you to see this phrase or a similar phrase mentioned throughout this chapter. Notice verse 4. Look, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 7, the Lord said or spoke to him. Verse 9, the Lord said or spoke to him. Verse 13, then the Lord said or spoke to Abram. How was Abram being reassured? Through the word of God, through the revelation of God, through the message of God. That's how God reassured. Now, he can use any vehicle he wants to. He can use vision. He can use worship. He can use his word. He can use other people, however. But God uses his word to reassure us, you see. And that's exactly what he was doing here with Abram. But again, I want us to see it came on the heels of Abram making this great faithful declaration and God coming right in at that moment and basically saying to Abram, Abram, don't worry, I got your back. I'm not going to fail you. You know, I saw what you did, and you may be wavering a little bit, but I'm coming to reassure you. And Abram was struggling with two things. One, God promised him years ago an heir. And so far, no heir. And God promised him land. And Abram's struggling to really wrap his mind around that, right? Exactly what are we talking about, God? So in the first six verses of Genesis 15, God is assuring Abram about an heir. Then in verse 7, through the rest of the chapter, God is going to reassure Abram about the land. Sort of off subject just for a second, but there's three things that are necessary to have, obviously, a, a nation or a people group. You've you got to have people. 
you got to have land, and then you got to have something that ties them or binds them all together, a common purpose, if you will. That same thing is true today, and that was Israel. You see, God started with one man and said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to build you into a people who have a land, and then I'm going to give you something that's going to tie you all together. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the Mosaic Covenant. And by the way, the Mosaic Covenant gets a bad rap. It wasn't a negative thing. In fact, Jesus said that it was good. There wasn't anything wrong with the Mosaic Law. It was the people that was the problem. It was actually good. It, it helped people. And it was what bound the people of God together. In the New Testament, the church, the people of God, we also have things that are to bind our hearts together so that we come as one. God has, again, worked very similarly throughout history because, again, God reveals himself through relationships. So let's go back to verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God says, fear not, Abram. Basically, be in awe of nothing but me. Because when you and I get afraid, we've allowed something to become bigger than God. Whatever it is that we are fearful of, we are standing in all of that more than we are God. God is to dwarf all things so that we live fearlessly. And so God is reassuring Abram here. I am your shield. I am your defender. God is our shield and defender. And the one who will reward you or compensate you in great abundance for your faith and your faithfulness in me. See, again, he had just rejected the reward of the world, and now God is coming to him saying, I've got you. You don't have an heir yet. You don't have the land yet, but I've got you. Trust me. But then look at verse 2. Again, Abram is seeking assurance about this heir. <laughs> He's not getting any younger. Neither is his wife. And there's been no heir yet, right? And let me say this to encourage all of us. God understands our humanity. It's great to be godly, but we must never forget that we are also human and we must embrace our humanity. And as humans, even godly humans, we need reassurance. That's okay. Abram was called the friend of God. No one maybe, you know, walked any closer with the Lord, at least at that time, than Abram did. But Abram still needed reassurance. It's okay. And Abram said, O sovereign Lord, 
First time this phrase or description of God was used. Adonai Jehovah. Lord, I, I know you're the, you're the master. I, I know you're way above me. And I know that I am submissive and, and, and need to be in surrender to you. But will you give me, since I continue to be childless, Will you give me, what will you give me? I need something. I, I need something tangible to hold on to because I still don't have an heir. And then again, in the machinations of human thinking, what does Abram begin to do? Same thing you and I do. We're going to help God out. Because God needs our help, right? Yes, he's given us these wonderful promises, and he is the sovereign master and Lord, but somehow he needs my help in order to figure this out. So I'm just going to give him an offer here. I've got this servant, Eliezer, right? And in Abram's day, if a couple did not have an heir... It was part of their culture to pull in a servant. We're going to obviously see this in the next chapter in the new year with Sarai pulling in Hagar. We're going to pull in this other servant, and they're either going to be the designated heir, since I don't have one, or they're going to create an heir. And so this is Abram's plan to help God. Because notice, Abram says in verse 3, since you've not given me a descendant, then look, one born in my house will be my heir. Right, God? I got this all figured out. Oh, the love and patience of God, right? Again, God reveals who he is through relationships with us, just like he is with Abram. We're seeing who our God is. He's a God of great love and patience and mercy and understanding and compassion and willing to assure us in our humanity. So God just gently comes to Abram and says, but look, the word of the Lord came to him. Pay attention, Abram. This man will not become your heir. Instead, a son who comes from your own body will be your heir. Why? Why is this so important? Because if it would have been done Abram's way, his own works, his own putting in something, then Abram would have had something to get the glory for. God basically tells us as humans, look, I need you to follow me, and I need you to trust me and believe me, and I need you to partner with me, but you've got to let me do it and do it my way so that I get the glory for it. I'm going to do this in such a way that there is no question it had to be God. It's going to have to be supernatural. See, if I let you all do it your way, you're going to try to figure out some human way to do it, and then you get human glory for it, which is so much less than if you would just trust me and wait on me, I'll do a miracle. 
I'll do something supernatural that will be even bigger and grander than what you could ever figure out as a human being, and I'll even get the glory for it, and you'll get to experience my miracle-working supernatural power in your lives, just like we talked about Sunday. Our problem is many times we have trouble waiting on the Lord to fulfill these things, and we circumvent sometimes the great things God wants to do because we want to put our own hands in it and help God out. God doesn't need our help. God is perfectly capable of not only making the promise but fulfilling the promise, even if it means he has to do a miracle to do it. That's what Abram had to come back to. And then God takes him outside. Remember earlier God said, your descendants will be like the grains of sand. Now God takes him outside. And he says, Abram, look up at all those stars in the sky. I love this. God just uses what's available. He says, I want you to gaze into the sky and start counting the stars if you're able to count all of them. And then God said to him, so will your descendants be. And this word gaze is a very important word. It means, Abram, look intently and regard each of those stars that you are counting with delight and pleasure. In other words, you can start living in the hope that you can be confident and expect this to happen, and you can take joy and delight and even rejoice and praise and worship me even though it hasn't happened yet because you know I'm good for my word. And what I said to you will come true. Oh, God wants us, folks, to live in that same vein God wants us to be able to worship him confidently in hope, expecting that the things that he has told us that even hasn't happened yet are as sure that they're going to come true, that we can be filled with joy and delight and pleasure in him and worship him in spite of the fact it hadn't happened yet. Let me give you an example. We all sit here or stand here tonight, or you all viewing us from home, if you're a Christian, you, you believe that the, the moment you take your last breath, you're going to glory. And, and that reality, because that's what God said, should be so sure that you have embraced that truth and that promise from God that you can be filled with joy and rejoicing and worship the Lord and praise him in spite of the fact that you haven't actually experienced it yet. But you know it's going to happen. That's living in hope. That's worshiping in hope. That's believing in hope. That's, that's the way God wants us all to live. Abram, go out there and look at those stars and be filled with joy and delight and pleasure because that's going to be your descendants one day. You're not going to see it all happen, but you can still rejoice in it because I'm the one that said it and you know it's going to come about because I don't ever go back on my promise.
So that was the first assurance to Abram. Then we come to verse 6. Again, a monumental verse, a verse that the Apostle Paul quotes many times in the New Testament. Again, to teach justification through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. Abram believed, trusted, stood firm upon the word of God, and the Lord considered his response of faith as proof of genuine loyalty. That's it. You see, that's all that God is looking for and requiring from human beings is just faith, to trust him, to stand firm upon his word. That's all that God requires for us to be in a relationship with him and to have fellowship with him. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God, but faith when it is exercised like it was here by Abram, pleases God because we show him by our faith that we are trusting him. Okay, God, you said it. I believe it. I mean, over and over tonight, we sung those songs about the faithfulness of God, about the trustworthiness, the reliability, the dependability of his promises. That's, that's what we're talking about here tonight. That's what Abram did. He stood firm upon the word of God. That's what God wants each of us to do tonight. Because when we stand firm upon his word, that's not shaky ground. That is as solid as you can get. That's what we talked about Sunday. That's those priests in the middle of the Jordan River standing on dry ground. There can be no more safe, secure, stable place than standing upon the word of God. It's what Jesus said. When they hear my words and they listen to what I say and they trust in what I say, they build their lives upon a rock, not shifting sand. I don't know what it is maybe that you're struggling with, what you need assurance about tonight, but God is reaching out to us tonight and saying, stand firm upon my word. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe I haven't answered the prayer yet. Maybe I haven't moved quite yet. Maybe I haven't completed all my action yet, but stand firm upon my word. Then verse 7. Abram now is seeking assurance of the land, not just the air. So again, the word of the Lord comes to him, and the Lord says to him, I am... I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Again, God brought him out to bring him in. God never brings us out of something and doesn't complete it or finish it. He always brings us in. It's exactly what Paul said to the Philippians. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God always finish what he starts. And so he's saying to Abram, I'm not going to bring you out, tell you that I'm going to give you and your descendants this land, and then not follow through with it. You can trust me to complete whatever I start, and you and I can do the same. 
But Abram again said in verse 8, he needs this assurance. Oh, sovereign Lord, Adonai Jehovah, by what can I know that I am to possess it? Again, I need something, God, to hold on to. I, I need something from you. Give me something. Okay? You gave me the stars. Okay. I'm good with that. Can you give me something, some kind of expression, something tangible that you and I can partner with here that can encourage me in my faith to trust you now for the land? So the Lord again said to him, notice it is the Lord who initiates it all and actually does it all. He says, take for me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Why all the animals? I think because of the solemnity of what was going to happen here. So Abram took all these for him and then cut them in two and placed each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I think this is a beautiful picture that portrays the opposition and challenges that await Abram in the fulfillment of this promise that God is going to give of the land. In fact, you and I sit here today or stand here today, and this promise has not ever been totally fulfilled yet. It will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom because Israel has yet, throughout their history, yet to possess all the land that God promised them under Abram. Remember that. That's important even in our understanding of prophecy, you see. God here is going to what they call in Abram's day, cut a covenant. It was a ceremony that would be done by two parties where they would cut these animals and, and the parties would walk between them as basically a pledge that they would be good for what they have pledged to one another. Now, what you will note later on here is that Abram does not walk in between these animals. This is not a bilateral covenant. This is a unilateral covenant. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So when the sun went down, Abram fell sound asleep, verse 12, and great terror overwhelmed him. Why? Because of what the Lord showed him. The Lord again comes to him and says to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign country. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will execute judgment on the nation that they will serve. Afterward, they will come out with many possessions. Can you imagine Moses writing this and the generation he wrote this and the Israelites seeing this and going, you're right, God, you did exactly what you told Abram you were going to do. But the more important thing I want to say to us tonight about this is this. And this is important. The promises that God makes to his people aren't always warm and fuzzy. Get me? God says, look, 
I'm going to give you this land, and your descendants are going to occupy this land, but part of it is going to be they're going to rebel against me, and because of their rebellion, they're going to end up in Egypt for 400 years. Because God knows what's going to happen. And God is just being very upfront with Abram, going, look, when I promise you things, I'm going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. I'm not just going to give you the good parts. I'm going to tell you everything, you see, so that you know, first of all, it's real. Because you know that on earth, there's not this utopia existence. That comes later. Now is the cross, then is the crown, in a sense. But then I love this, verse 15. But as for you, you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. By the way, this may be especially encouraging to those of you who've lost loved ones recently or whatever. Do you notice that even God couches death as being reunited with our loved ones? Even God uses that concept. Even more so than saying, hey, when you die, Abram, you're coming to glory with me. Not that that wasn't true. It is. But God says, you're going to be reunited with those who went on before you. That's something God uses to encourage Abram here. But then he says, verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will return here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its limit. God is working on all sides of this plan and purpose and promise. And before they're driven out, God's got to let them have a little bit more time because some of them will repent and turn to him. Verse 17, the actual cutting of the covenant. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passed between the animal parts. It was God manifesting himself as smoke and as fire. And we know that that's the way God manifests himself because you go to the book of Exodus and how did God manifest himself to the Israelites? As smoke or a cloud and as fire. God's person is passing through the parts in between these animals. And that day, the Bible says, the Lord made a covenant, a unilateral covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I will give this land. And then notice God gets very specific about describing the actual parameters of the land. Why? Because God wants Abram to know this is a very real promise of a very real place. This isn't some, you know, pie in the sky, by and by, we're just making this up. I'm telling you, this is the boundaries that I want to give you and your descendants. And again, God cut this covenant or made this covenant with Abram in blood. The animals were sacrificed and cut in half. And God basically all the way back in Genesis says, I am confirming and assuring you, Abram, that you will have this land because I walked through that and I obligated myself by blood 
that if I did not perform my promise to you and give you this land, I would die and I would cease to be God. That's how serious God was about this covenant. God himself is the assurance of his people. The certainty of this covenant you'll see here in Genesis 15 is based on who God is, not on who Abram is or what Abram would do. The covenant would not fail because God cannot fail. And guess what, folks? Here's the great thing for us tonight. God has, in a sense, cut another covenant in blood for us. When his own dear son hung on the cross and shed his blood for us, God was saying, I am cutting a covenant in blood. I'm making a covenant by the blood of my own son with you. And I'm telling you, that if you just trust me and believe in me, you will be saved and your sins will be forgiven and you will come to glory with me one day. And it's not based on what you do. And it's not based on who you are. It is simply based on who I am. And that's why when people ask me why I believe, and, and you can use whatever phraseology you want, Sometimes I think it's the semantics of it all that gets us in trouble. Why do I believe in eternal security? Why do I believe once saved, always saved? For the very same reason that the covenant with Abram was based solely on God himself and not on what Abram did and not on who Abram was. It was based only on God. And God has always cut covenant with his people that way when they're unilateral. And that's the same thing in salvation. I, I, I can't do anything to earn my salvation. Therefore, I can't do anything to undo it. The only thing God asks of me is the same thing he asked of Abram. Believe in me. And I will count that. As righteousness. That's all. That's the only requirement. Faith. It is by our faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. See, it's not by works. Abram didn't do anything here. God did it all. All Abram did was gather the animals and cut them up, and God walked through and said, you can be assured, Abram, I'll give you the land. And you and I, when we remind ourselves of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross, can be reminded, God saved me. Not because of anything I, in me, not because of who I am, or even trying to be able to keep myself saved. Because we can't. It's all on God. We simply have to trust in his provision and in his promises. And that's what Genesis 15 is all about. The faithfulness of our God and the trustworthiness of his promises. I don't know, again, tonight, what area of life you need reassurance in right now, but God wants to, like he did with Abram, come and give you his word and reassure you that he will do what he said he will do.
Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you are such a loving, patient God that doesn't get upset with us when we need reassurance. You understand our humanity. You understand our frailty. You understand our brokenness, God. You understand we need things to hold on to and, to, and, and things that are tangible and things that we can look at. And yet, God, you're always just bringing us back to your word. You're working with us, trying to encourage our faith and strengthen our faith so that you can get us to a place where all we have to do is hear you say it and we believe it and it's settled. So God, I pray tonight that just like Abram trusted you when you told him to go out there and look at the sky with all the stars and that's how great his descendants would be, that, God, we will stand firm upon your word in our life and that we will regard with pleasure and delight and joy because we're living in hope, God, that whatever you have promised us, God, we can be so confident about as if it's already happened because, Lord, it's, it's you. You're our assurance. You, your character is the assurance of your people, God. We can trust you with everything. We can rest all of our weight on you every day of our lives and know that you got us, God. You will hold us up. You are our shield and defender, and you are our reward and rewarder. God, would you go with us tonight from this place? Give us a good couple weeks off around the holidays with our family and friends and bring us back on January the 5th that we might resume this great study in the book of Genesis once again. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you in three weeks.